lovely. So, Michelle, tin roof rusted. <laughs> rusted. That is what you can hear. <laughs> it's raining where you are. It is bloody raining here. Oh, but I'm happy. I'm it's happy. romantic. Oh, today is the day. Apparently, you told me that we're allowed to go out and uh, lick people now. Yes, you can. You can lick them. You can hug them. You can even get on a plane and come and go anywhere. Can I travel? Yeah, apparently travel's been lifted. No, how come? Isn't there an amber list and a red list and a red and a green list? Yeah, but you can go on the green list. Well, what's on green? I don't know. I just don't bother <laughs> listening, Michelle, because it's just there's no point. They dangle a carrot and then they take it away. As far as I'm concerned. Enjoy that uh, opening up while you can because it's going to be all gone in a couple of weeks. Sorry (laughs) to be a wet blanket. You are nothing but a wet blanket today, Michelle. But I was going to say to you, hello, UK. Do you know who says that? Eurovision. Yes, it's coming. (laughs) (laughs) Are you aware that you're on a Eurovision WhatsApp group with me? Yes, I am. I haven't replied yet. Could you put Andreas on there? I'd like him to have his own voice this year oh yes okay hello sweden hello sweden (laughs) yes hello san marino is always one of my favorite hello san marino hello san marino because everyone's like where the fuck is san marino (laughs) (laughs) i've been there it's very nice where is it it's a tiny little country inside italy Interesting, interesting. It's interesting that we should start by talking about travelling because I've got a great story about travelling that I'd like to tell today. Have you got something? I've got stuff. One case. And it's a long one. It's a longie but a goodie. Can I just say to our listeners, if there is anyone out there listening or eavesdropping, (laughs) as we like to say, uh, welcome to Eavesdropping. This is a podcast. She's Michelle. She's tiny. I'm Geordie. I'm somewhat bigger. (laughs) Somewhat bigger. Average, maybe above average height for a woman, aren't I, really? And you're perhaps slightly below average? How dare you? (laughs) Uh, Do you know what? This came up a lot in the last week. People saying, oh, but you're so small. I don't feel small. I have heard that a lot as well because of the Instagram of you in your bikini bopping out. She's tiny. I'm hearing people go, she's minuscule. Yes, she is. (laughs) And that's why I look like a giant. That's why I look like her big, like her father. Standing over, holding her hand. What's she on about? What? Huh? Silly bitch. What? So, uh, Michelle, oh, for our eavesdroppers, be- fucking hell, what now? I was just going to say. We- you keep throwing me off my off your game. Off my game. <laughs> it's all right, slag. I don't know why I just called you a slag. Have you been watching EastEnders? Consumed by the spirit of Dot Cotton. <laughs> anyway. Dot Cotton? No. Dot Cotton, isn't she EastEnders? Oh, yes, sorry. I thought we were talking about Line of Duty. Sorry, carry on. Oh, don't I'm so even, confused. Don't even. So you had said something previously and I laughed. Andreas has pointed out to me recently, my laugh has changed. He said I now laugh like, <laughs> have you noticed this? <laughs> no, but I do get to hear you laugh quite a lot. And there is a, <gasps> that does happen at the end of a laugh. <gasps> That, ha- that tends to happen. My mum and her sister, my Auntie Ev, shout out Auntie Ev. When they get together, they do that. They laugh together in unison. Oh, 
Daddy! Like that, together, every time. It's the most bizarre thing. They don't even know they're doing it. It's like they're singing. Daddy! I love that. Laughing is... The, one of the most bizarre things when you actually break it down and listen to it. But I got quite disturbed because Andrea said, well, he said, I just want to point out that it's a very recent thing. You started going, <laughs> and, I, and I think I might have just done it at the beginning of the episode. So I don't know. I'll highlight that and put that as the preamble. How about that? Right. And I'll put an echo on it as well and a phaser. <laughs> anyway, sorry, back to your game. I was saying, welcome eavesdroppers to this episode of Eve's Drop-In with little Michelle and giant Geordie. And we're friends. She's somewhere else in the world. I'm in the UK. I'm not sure, Michelle, and I don't know how to introduce this episode because I'm not really sure about what the hell what, I'm talking what about. We, what we are talking about. We said spies, but my story has nothing to do with spies. Does yours? No. Great. So I think by the end of this episode, we should have more of an idea of what this episode's going to be about. Like, for example, the gaslighting episode, which was actually just about Woody Allen and Mia Farrow. Um, so does anybody know what's actually going on here? Does she? If Why? No one knows. Eve's dropping. What? I was going to tell you about a time that I went to St. Petersburg for Mulberry when I used to work yes. at Mulberry. My, my boss, Tina, and I went to St. Petersburg because we were opening some stores out there and we had to go and set up the shops in Russia. So we had a couple of weeks in St. Petersburg, then back home to London, then back out to Moscow. And it was in 2002. And okay. it was amazing. I'd never been to Moscow before. I'd never been. I'd never been to St. Petersburg. I'd never been to the country of Russia. In fact, is what I'm trying to say. Before USSR. <laughs> so we Hello, went out there. Russia. Hello, Russia. Are they in Eurovision? <laughs> I think they have been allowed, but they may be boycotted now. I don't know. Please, wow. somebody correct me. I'll Please take it. tell us. We don't know. Much Hannah about- Huggis. Oh, yeah, she's going to be right on the Google Maps right now trying to figure it out. So, yeah, we went out to – I had a story to tell you about my trip to St. Petersburg. Oh, yeah, we had to stay in a really fancy hotel and we had to have a driver. We we couldn't get cabs as usual. Have a good sniff. And I don't know if I've told you this before, and and the the hotel was incredible. I remember now the story that I was going to tell you. So okay, every day we'd go to work, and what we didn't realise was that everybody has a bloody rifle on them or a shotgun. It was shocking. Jesus. So our there's always like a, a security guard usually in a shop, and everybody was all hands on deck in the run up to opening this store, and we asked the security guard, would he mind? helping us move some lights. So he was up on a ladder and he was moving the lights around. And as he lifted his arm up, there was his shotgun. And then we went, no, it was a, it was a pistol. And then we went for lunch somewhere. And the man, there was always a man sitting at the front of the cafe with a fucking rifle. And then we were sent to the best, the hottest ticket in town was a place called, I can't remember. It was like La Dolce Vita or somewhere like that. It was a restaurant. Great mm-hmm. food. We were told it was fantastic. We turned up. We had we had bookings. The door was very tightly shut and then they opened it a crack and then we had to give our names. They let us in. It was all these really young girls and these really big beefy guys, right? And okay. it looked like a, a strip club. There was plush velvet seating. Poles, I love it already. Poles everywhere for pole love dancing. It. We were like, weird restaurant. We sat down, then we were, mo- and the the place was empty. We were moved, yeah. 
there's a stage there. We were moved away from that particular seat and moved to another one for some strange reason. There was no one there. Then we were given the menus and we could see that on a Thursday, Saxon sex. Well, like, okay. So it's jazz on a Thursday with a bit of pole dancing. Jazz and cheers. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was very visceral. Anyway, so we had our we had our menus. It was very difficult to choose because all of the menu the menu was in Russian, but then it had the English uh, translation underneath. Now I remember having a pig in a kitchen garden. That's the name of my dish, which was a bowl of chicken with raspberries in. What? Yeah. And I can't remember what Tina had. But we'd go back to the hotel of an evening and we'd sit in the bar. And, we, and because we were there quite some time, about a week, we kind yeah. of got we got used to the barman. He seemed really cool. And we made our own little version of what was going on, like a backstory okay. about him. And we'd get chatting to him. We just thought he knows everyone. He knows everything that's going on. By the end of the week, we got talking to him. And we decided he was an ex-tumbler in the, in the Russian circus or something. Oh, God. Of course. So... One night, we were like always the only people in the restaurant. I think the, a Saudi Arabian prince was the only other person staying in this massive hotel at that time. But there, were, one night, it was really weird. There was a, this couple of gentlemen sitting behind us, like two booths behind us. And next to them were very ropey looking. They could only be security guards they had the little earpiece they were beefy so we made up all these stories we were drunk at one point we yep. said i know let's follow them to the to- well that was a bad move follow you them, followed to, the them to the tush yes we did we followed them to the toilet and we got in trouble we were chased <gasps> out of there and we were told it was some kind of politician politicians meeting in secret and some sort <gasps> of all sorts of weird things were going on the next day, we went to the Hermitage Museum. You know, the, the massive museum. I've never been, but okay. We, we yes. went. There was a bear on a chain outside, which I didn't like. and A real life. A real life bear, a little tiny what? bear on a chain. The F. Then we went in and we didn't want to pay for a tour. So we just jumped onto a tour of Peruvians in <laughs> national dress. So. Because you didn't, you weren't conspicuously standing out with those Peruvians. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Two blonde girls. Hello. Yeah, massively tall compared to these little tiny people with plaits and proper like uh, wearing blankets. And we just, we just tagged on. But we got to see all the lovely eggs, the Fabergé eggs. But going back to that, that issue with the, mm. with the politicians. Something, in the tut, yeah. In the tut. Something was definitely going on. And we were definitely chased out of there. It was a little bit scary and hairy. And there was an atmosphere going on. Yeah. So we went back. So the next thing, we went back to London. Our trip to Moscow was cancelled. Do you want to know why? Why? Because that Because two girls had stepped into a <laughs> toilet and, and disturbed a meeting. And caused an international <laughs> incident. No. What actually happened was it was October the 23rd. 2002 and there was a famous play called Nord Nord Ost on and all of Russia was in attendance and everybody was going I thought it was cats turns out it wasn't cats (laughs) but it was a musical I wish it was cats I I wish wish it was cats cats. (laughs) it was a musical about Stalin's Russia and just after 9 p.m 40 Chechen rebels from is an endless is from an Islamist separatist group and this isn't funny Michelle (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sitting here with a big grin on my face. You mustn't make me laugh. Okay. This is serious. Okay. <laughs> yes. Islamist. Yes. 
<laughs> they arrived at the theatre with more than 100 kilos of explosives, 100 hand grenades, three heavy bombs, 18 Kalashnikov assault rifles and 20 pistols. They stormed the stage during after the, after the half-time during a love aria and fired into the air. Most of the people thought... Oh. It was just it part, was of, part the of the show. And it was all just shooting blanks. But it wasn't. And when people oh, started no. to realise, they flipped out. They were running to the exits, screaming. But they'd, they'd be blocked at all the exits by these, uh, these women known as Black yeah. Widows, dressed in suicide <gasps> belts, full face. Um, Fucking hell. Yeah. It was pretty scary. So then the men on the stage ordered that the audience go back to their seats and if anyone moved, they would be shot. And so began a four-day siege of the the Dubrovka Theatre. This is the Dubrovka, the Nord-Est Siege or the Dubrovka Theatre Siege of 2002. Thank God you missed that. Well. That could have been you. Well, I don't think we would have had time to go to to the theatre because we're opening a store. Yes, but you might have been invited because you were, you know... VIPs to Could a point. Yeah. Could have been. Yeah. If you played your card rides in the toot that time, <laughs> you could have been invi- invited as a guest. Well, no, I have a feeling now that that, that experience that we had mm. like following those suspicious dark politician <gasps> men into the toilet and being Good. chased away and almost causing an incident, yeah. it could have been something to do. I feel that something was afoot. Definitely. Yes. And that's what our little tumbling... Barman was under the impression of he he believed. So anyway, they really? took him. Did he say something to you? He said something's up. He said something weird is going no. on here. There's some unsettling. Oh, like he's never seen that before. Come well, on, maybe I don't know. But anyway, they took the entire theatre uh, hostage, including the orchestra and the cast. There was about 850 people held hostage. Fuck! <gasps> did anyone die? Yeah, Michelle. Oh, loads no. of people died. Can you do you not remember this? I do, but I I I. It's it's vague, like everything in my brain. Well, it's- I've got a little information. I can remind you. So they demanded the withdrawal of Russian forces from the from Chechnya and an end to the Chechen war. I'm not going to go into all the politics as to why this happened, but it's something to do with the breakup of the USSR and all of the individual states then wanting to, to own their own bits. But Russia was o- right. overlording it, I believe. I'll have that wrong. Sorry, in addition to withdrawing from Chechnya, they wanted the release of prisoners. But Russia, of course, run by Putin at the time still, they weren't playing ball. Have you got a little uh, frog in the throat? Froggy, Froggy's made a nest in my throat, sorry. <laughs> I don't think that's what they do. I don't think so either. Anyway, anyway sorry, continue. I'll continue with this harrowing story, shall I? Inside yes. the theatre, the orchestra pit was being used as a toilet and the stench was overbearing. Ew. There were foreigners. Where amongst... else were they going to go, though? Where exactly. Were they, gonna... they couldn't leave the room. They were all like everybody, children, everyone, the cast. Everybody was all that for four days. They were being held hostage. There was about seventy-five oh, different um, people from other countries there, like uh, Australia, Germany, the Netherlands, Ukraine, and United shit. Kingdom and United States. On day one, I believe the attackers released up to about two hundred people were released on the first day, including children. Oh, well, that's good. So they had a heart. They did have a heart. Pregnant women, Muslims, some foreign tourists and people requiring medical treatment in the early hours after they invaded. Right. Also, two women managed to escape. One of them was injured while escaping. 
So Ooh, okay. that happened. The terrorists said they were ready to kill 10 hostages for any of their number killed if the security forces intervened. So there was basically there was yeah. a standoff. So we have the uh, the Russian forces standing outside and you have the Chechen rebels who were actually talking to television uh, and news media outlets throughout yep. the whole thing. At 1.30 in the morning on the first, well, it would be this, yeah, the first full day, a woman called Olga Romanova, who was 26 years old, a civilian, managed to sneak past all the cordons on the outside. She's a civilian okay. on the outside. She managed to break into the theatre. She crossed the police cordon by herself. So she what? got into the theatre and began urging all the hostages to stand up to their captors. What the fuck? I know. She just, it was just like a, like, what do you call that when somebody is just doing it on their own? What do they call, what do you call that person? Like a person. Lunatic? No. Jesus. What do they call it when you're a, like a. Mediator or. No. No. No one asked her to do it. Just off her own. Vigilante. Oh. Doing her own thing. Yeah. So she entered. She told everyone, come on, everyone, just fight. Stand up to these guys. You can do it. There was all this confusion. And the terrorists thought she was from the Federal Security Service, otherwise known as FSB. They thought she was an agent. So they shot and killed her seconds later. She was that was it. Then she was removed. Her body was then removed from the building by a Russian medical team and incorrectly reported by the Moscow police as the body of the first hostage who was killed while trying to escape. So then they're saying they started to kill hostages. But actually, it was just a woman who walked, who burst in from outside. Yeah. At this point, no hostages had been killed. What was she thinking? Who knows? How did she think that was going to go down? How did like, she there think? was not a good outcome for that. I do. I, I'm thinking maybe the information coming in wasn't wasn't accurate, and she just there was only a few people, and she thought I can I can fix this. Oh, god complex. Anyway, so no negotiations were still carrying on while the siege was in place. And according to the FSB, 39 hostages were set free by the terrorists on the 24th of October, which is the following day. One Mm. of the hostages repeated to the Russian forces an earlier threat to start basically again to say, we are going to start shooting captives soon if you don't take our demands seriously. They were negotiating the release of non-Russian nationals and that was being conducted by various embassies. The kidnappers claimed they were ready to release 50 Russian hostages if the head of Chechnya's pro-Moscow administration would come to the theatre. But he just didn't turn up. No response, nothing. They just didn't bother. So no releases took place of any any Russian hostages. That, could have been, they, just could left, have been. they just left their people to, to rot yeah. inside that theatre. Yeah, it was an absolute standoff. They didn't do anything. that Well, obviously, you're not supposed to do what they demand, but they no, weren't being but... taken seriously. There's 850 people inside this theatre, Michelle. This just reminds me a little bit of, in terms of government response, like it's not what you expect. Like with Tiananmen Square... When the government ran over all the Chinese students, it's like you don't expect governments to be violent or to kind of just do nothing. Yeah, it's just a bit weird. Thank God we're Australian. Oh, God help us. (laughs) Anyway, at one point, a hot water pipe burst overnight and flooded the ground floor. The hostage takers called the flooding provocation so they just assumed that was something that the oh, a FSB were, yeah a tactic but it did later turn out that the sewer system was being used by the russian special forces for listening so it may have oh. been an accidental pipe burst and then that the the chechens thought oh that's just a tactic to try and flood us out but yeah. actually it, it may With have shit. 
with shit. It may actually have burst because they had put listening devices in there to, to listen yeah, in on right. what was going on. So eventually the hostage takers agreed to release all remaining foreign citizens in the presence of diplomatic representatives of their states. So 15 Russian citizens were released, including eight children aged 7 to 13. Mm-hmm. After a meeting with Putin, the FSB head, Nikolai Petrushev, apologies if I got that wrong, offered to spare <laughs> the lives of the Chechens if they released the remaining hostages unharmed. I've okay. got a few little stories about uh, individuals now. After dusk, a man identified as Glenady Vlak, I may have that pronunciation wrong, he ran across the square and gained entry to the theatre. So it's another... Another vigilante. Vigilante, yeah. He said that his son was amongst the hostages, but his son did not seem to be present and the man was led away and shot by the Chechens, unfortunately. Oh, my God. Okay. There's a lot of... do. Exactly. Well, there's a lot of uh, confusion surrounding this incident and Vlak's body was cremated before it was even identified. Right. Is a bit weird. Yeah, dodgy. Then there was Dennis Gribkov, who around midnight, a gunfire incident took place as Dennis Gribkov, a 30-year-old male hostage, ran over the backs of the theatre seats towards the female insurgents, otherwise known as the Black Widows, who were sitting next to a large improvised explosive device. I mean, who would do that? Would you do that? I wouldn't. A male Chechen shot at him and missed, but stray stray bullets hit and severely wounded Tamara Starkova and fatally wounded Pavel Zakharov, who were evacuated from the the building soon after. So this is where it all starts to get a little bit mayhemy and a bit wild. Yeah. Dennis Gribkov was removed from the auditorium and later found dead from gunshot wounds. Jesus Christ. They're they're trigger happy, aren't they? According to an officer in the Russian Special Forces cited by The Guardian, there was a controlled leak of information. So then this is what the Russians decided to do. They they leaked that the storm they were going to storm the the theatre at about three AM in the morning. So that information was leaked and it got back to the Chechen fighters. So they were on their guard. Yeah. And they began shooting but there was no raid. So I think that's what they'd started to do. They began mm. shooting around 3 a.m., but then nothing happened. It so then, sounds quite chaotic. It's it was total chaos on both sides. So the Chechens relaxed, but then mm-hmm. at 5 a.m., when they're all chilling out, the Russians burst in. But do you want to know how they went about rescuing them, Michelle? This is where, yeah, it, all, this is where it all goes tits up, I tell you. The rescue involved pumping of an undisclosed chemical agent into the building's oh, ventilation system, sake. which didn't affect most of the rebels because they were wearing gas masks. And the chemical oh. was thought to be a kind of fentanyl gas, which is, um, uh, I think it's what you, they used to put you under. Okay. Anesthetic. But it was never disclosed. No one ever knew. And that had all sorts of knock-on effects, I'm going to tell you about. So this gas was pumped into every room. Many of the terrorists, like I said, were unaffected because they were wearing their gas masks. The hostages, sadly, were affected because they had no respiratory protection and many of them succumbed to the gas. So during the raid, the terrorists had no intention of shooting the remaining Mm -hmm. hostages. They actually told them all to stay down in the seats and keep out of the crossfire. Yeah, right. Fuck. So there was fierce fighting between the special forces and the rebels, and that lasted approximately two hours, after which most of the rebels were left uh, dead, unconscious or in custody. Once the terrorists had been subdued, then the medics rushed in and they had to try and resuscitate these hostages. But unfortunately, they weren't told about the gas or the use of gas. So not only did they have not enough medics, they didn't even know what they were treating because no one could tell yeah, them what the gas right. was that they had used. So they just couldn't deal with it. So instead, they they were filmed dragging all these hostages out. They were lying in puddles. 
they were gasping for breath. They were, no one could give them the right antidote. This is, this is the horrific bit. This is what the world saw. So, yeah. They were choking on their own vomit, choking on their tongues, oh, suffocating God. for death on cramped buses. They, they got all the city buses and they lined them up out the side because they, they didn't have enough ambulances. A yeah. lot of them didn't even make it to hospital. Some of them died on the bus. Now, oh, God. there's Tatiana Karpova, who is the mother of a well-known songwriter called Alexander Karpov. She claims he died in an ambulance after spending seven hours in a bus packed with corpses. This is after they'd been released from the fucking siege. So more died outside of the siege than inside. Yeah. I don't understand why they put the gas in, you know. I don't know. No one understood at the time. I remember it well. So he was lying amongst dead, dead bodies with no medical help. And there were loads of more incidences like this as well. 129 hostages died in the seats of the auditorium, on the steps of the theatre and in the buses. Fuck. There was a 15-year-old girl called Nina Milovodov who pleaded with the rebels to release her and her 12-year-old sister, but only the younger sister was released. So Nina, in the end, stayed in the auditorium and she was a victim of the gas. Her father says that after the rescue, she was never even brought to a hospital. They never offered her any medical help. They just threw threw her on a bus to hide her from the television cameras. Jesus Christ. And at the time, the authorities claimed that no child had died in the siege. Yeah, bullshit. Oh, God, horrific. I know, it's awful. Families of the dead say that as many as 10 children were killed and another 69 lost at least one parent in the tragedy. Tragedy. Tragedy? Tragedy. (laughs) So officials initially praised this successful operation during which all the militants were killed with no loss of life among security forces. But then the, the the real details started to emerge and it yeah, was horrific. Yeah, yeah the, the world got to see what really went on. Fucking hell. Thank God you missed this. Thank God you I missed I know. That. Imagine being in Moscow during that time. I'm so glad we weren't. So nobody was brought to account for the deaths of the hostages who ended up in hospital after the rescue operation was completed or the inability of the intelligence services to prevent the attack in the first place. I mean... Often that these things are avoided and I don't know how they do it. That's why we have mm. things like MI5, MI6. Yeah. Russia must have it too. But that's what we think. Looking back, Tina and I did discuss this at the time and we thought definitely what we witnessed that day was so something. Had, was some kind of connection to yeah. it. Yeah. We just right. felt that there was Fuck. something something weird. So the uh, Nordost, the actual play, they lost 17 yeah. members of the team, including t- two child actors. And oh. they were named Christina Kovatova and Arseny Kurilenko. They were both aged 13. And one third of all the musicians in the orchestra. The producer, George Vasiliev, he had also been there on the night mm. and, he, and he was held hostage. I'll finish by saying, to this day, exact data about the casualties from the raid can rarely be found. No, of course not. They're covering it up. If you look it up, it is all over the place. You can't really yeah. find any real details. No one knew. One thing's for sure, no one knew what that gas was. But look, no one knows what the fuck's going on in Russia. It's all it's all cover-ups. It's all hidden. It was really interesting to go there and to see all these things. We tried yeah. to, you know, make light of our time there. But I have to admit, I was quite freaked out from the minute we landed. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because 2002 wasn't, you know, Russia wasn't open, open. Like It was early know, days. It was very early days. So, mm. yeah, fuck. Oh, well, thank you for... So that was uh, the horrifying and sad story of the Nordost siege. Oh. 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 
you got anything joyous to tell me now, Michelle? <laughs> well, what have you got? It's a really weird story and it hasn't had a lot of media coverage in English-speaking countries. And I've called it the mysterious case of the missing German billionaire. Oh. And, and it's kind of, not that I have any close connection to this story, but it happened in Zermatt. <gasps> so it's a hometown mystery. Yeah, hometown you. mystery. So I'm just going to wind back because I think I've talked about this before. Back in 2018, Andreas, my fiancé, he was training for the PDG. And what's that? I'm the same as you. Before he started training for it, I had no idea what the PDG even was. But in Switzerland, it's a big deal. So the PDG stands for the Patrol de Glacier. And it's a ski mountaineering race that only happens every two years at the end of April. And it's organized by the Swiss Army. So it actually started in 1943 during the Second World War as a ski race between different army patrol teams to test sort of the soldiers and how, you know, what their abilities were. But a few years after it started, three men died by falling into a crevasse. Ooh. Yeah, I know. And this is, this. it's a really fucking hard race. So the army stopped the race until 1984 and the PDG has been going ever since. And it's now not just for the army, it's open to civilians as well, which is why Andreas was able to enter. And it's this super intense race that starts on the main street of Zermatt, which for listeners who might not know where Zermatt is, it's a ski village in the Swiss Alps on the border of Italy and Switzerland. And it has, and Zermatt has the highest ski lift in Europe at around 3,800 metres, which uh, when I actually took my friend, scientist Neil, up there, uh, we got a little dizzy from the altitude because it's really, really high and it's fucking cold, even when the sun is shining. So the PDG, it starts in Zermatt and it ends in Verbier in Switzerland. And when I say the race is intense, it's fucking hard. And I could never do it because I'm A, a shit skier and B, I have no interest in freezing my tits off for 14 hours in a <laughs> skin tight lycra body suit. I think I'll give that a miss as well, Michelle. Yeah. So the races start at midnight on the main street in the village and there are literally hundreds of races all decked out in like, like I said, the skin tight lycra racing suits uh, and they all have head torches on and they set off into the night in teams of three and you have to race in teams of three because you need one person in the front one person in the middle and one in the back and you're all attached with ropes for part of the race anyway you're attached Mm. with ropes on the really hairy bits so if something happens like one of your teammates falls into a crevasse then the other two can pull you out Um, oh god yeah because you're racing over the glacier right to put this race into perspective it's a 53 kilometer race where you have your skis on and then you have your skis off and then like they're running in ski boots and they're climbing rocks in ski boots then they're putting skins on the skis and then skiing and then taking the skins off and downhill skiing and like down really steep faces like really intense how do you feel about Andreas doing that are you not concerned yeah I am because most people do this for about 13 to 14 hours that's how long the race takes so you need endurance you need skill and you need stamina and, you know, 
it is known as really the hardest mountaineering race in the world. And look, the whole reason I'm talking about this race is because back in 2018, when Andreas did this race, a German billionaire, not millionaire, billionaire. A billionaire? A billionaire called Karl Erevan Haub, also known as Charlie Haub. And quite frankly, I'm going to be calling him Charlie because it's easier to say than. Okay. He arrived in Zermatt to train for this race, except he never did the race because oh. on April 7, he went missing and he has never been seen alive since. Uh-oh. Yeah. And I remember when this happened because it really When was it? April 7, 2018. Oh. I remember when this happened because it fucking, the, the village went nuts. Like it really sent shockwaves mm. through Zermatt. And there was so much gossip going on at the time. And all we sort of really knew was that a rich German guy who had been to Zermatt loads of times before mm. and who had done the PDG before. So it wasn't like he didn't understand the conditions. It wasn't like... He didn't know what he was getting into. So this rich German guy had come to Zermatt to train for the PDG. And I'm lying on local info here. So the gossip was that on the 7th, he normally, like he went up the mountain alone. And this was not usual because normally all the other times he'd come to Zermatt, he had a a guide, right? The first of the PDG races that year began on April 17 and he went missing on April 7. And what we know is that he flew by private jet from Cologne to Sion, which is in like a, it's, it's in Vallis. It's a small airport in Vallis and it's the closest airport you can get um, mm. to Zermatt. And that was on April 6. So he was in town for 11 days before the race. And what we also know is that When I searched online, I found a CCTV image of him. It's just a capture of him having just swiped his ski pass through the ski station um, that leads out to the the glacier. And it's the Klein Matterhorn lift. And that is the last image of him alive, right? So, like I said, at the time, there were all these rumours about his disappearance. And one rumour I heard was that, and it's a little bit Melissa Caddick, actually, that Ooh. he'd left his wallet in his hotel room, which is weird because even if you're out touring and training for this race, you take your wallet because mm. when you ski back to the lift stations, you're, you're hungry or you want a coffee or a glue vine or whatever. It. So you need to take money with you. And look, like I said, I can't verify that, but it was a really strong rumor at the time. And I'm not sure if that came from the hotel staff. But it was definitely one of the things going around that he'd left his wallet in his room. And then another theory was that he'd fallen into a crevasse. And it was was crazy rumours that he had either fallen into a crevasse that was really, really remote or so deep that he just couldn't be found, right? And everyone was saying, oh, you know, like kind of half laughing or he's going to end up being like the modern day Utsi. Do you know about Utsi? Is that the the body of a, a prehistoric man that they found? Yes, it's the Tyrolean ice man that yeah. they found back in in 1991. He's okay. this mummified body from 3345 BC. But I have basically. a question, just a, a very quick question, and I apologise if it throws you off your story. No, 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 no. But this man you said had been doing it for 11 years. Is that right? No. This PDG. No, he's been doing it for many years. Oh, he's, many years. 
He has been training in the mountains for a long mm-hmm. time. Yeah. He um he's a proper enthusiast. Yeah, he had actually completed this fucking hard race a number so of times over the is years. Is it likely that a man who has the experience and knows the the land, knows the lay of the land, is it likely that he would fall down a crevasse? Anyone can fall down a crevasse, which is why you always go with someone. Well, I was going to say, wouldn't you take yeah precautions if you were... Yes. And, and look, it's funny you say that because for a long time, for the last couple of years, his story has been one of those cautious tales, you know, in town. It's like, be mm. careful on the mountain, always go up with the guide, yeah. you know, always take gear, always take your avalanche gear and your transceivers because you might end up in a crevasse like that German mm-hmm. guy. You know, so it, it is weird. But we also know that nature is crazy and it's really unexpected and it's powerful. And you, even the most experienced mountain guides, have lost their lives on the mountain because you never know when a crevasse is just going to open up. Oof. You know, you can't see them. You're walking on go. the glacier and you think, there. and you, and you think everything's fine. And then all of a sudden your foot goes down, a, in, you know, into a crevasse that you haven't seen because there's been a crust of snow over the top Ugh. and you're down. You're gone. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Michelle. But this is, but this is the kind of, um, daredevil shit that people love it's adrenaline Mm. junkies it's what makes it so exciting but this is also why for the pdg you train and you go with groups of three because you're on ropes over the glacier because you just never know right you know like i said he's a bit of a cautious tale and then you know with corona and everything everyone in the village just kind of forgot about this guy but then a few weeks ago a TV crew from Germany slipped into into town, into Zermatt, and they were staying at our friend's hotel. And basically, they were in town to do this documentary. And we all thought they were there to do, like, a show about, oh, you know, the decline of the glacier and how it's all, like, being destroyed. Mm. Turns out they were in Zermatt to investigate Charlie Halb's disappearance wow. because there is more to this story than just a rich guy falling down a crevasse and never being seen again. Okay. Circling back, I'm just going to put into context what, like, about uh, context who this guy is, right? His name's Charlie Harp. He was the son of the owner of Tengelman. And he was also the joint CEO of this company with his brother. Now, Tengelman is a German company that owns supermarkets, clothing stores, DIY stores, discount stores, accessory stores. And it's not just in Germany. It's all over Europe and all over Eastern Europe. Retail. But according to Forbes, the Haub family is one of the richest families in the world. And in 2018, Charlie Haub's dad, Erevan, was named the seventh richest man in the world. He's fucking top 10. That's, That's fucking huge. Yes. So we just thought, oh, some rich guy from Germany. Turns out he's fucking insanely rich. The right? language, Michelle. Yes, Sorry, but I do but get your point. Ha! We swear a lot. We swear a lot. We swear a lot. Get back. Woo! See you next Tuesday. Sorry, Mum. But, I mean, seventh richest man in the world, that is seriously intense right turns out his dad died a month before charlie went missing 
right? In suspicious circumstances. Well, well look, he was 85. So, you know, oh, so he was not. he was elderly, but is the timing weird? Is it connected? I don't know. I'm going to tell you some things. Just keep that in mind, right? All right. So, knowing how rich this guy is, what the fuck happened to this German billionaire? Like I mentioned earlier, on the 6th of April in 2018. And he's just inherited everything by the sound of it. Yeah. He and the brothers. He's got two brothers. So, the dad died. This company, which is worth fucking billions, is now just up for grabs. A month later, Charlie goes missing, right? Ah, right. So, like I said, he had come to Zomat to train for the PDG. 6th of April, 2018. And, and let's put in – sorry, I, ha- I haven't told you. Charlie's 58, so he's not spring chicken. Oh, but he's doing okay. fucking race, right? Right. So, so he's looked he, after himself. Yeah, but you can when you've got that much money. I mean, I'd take yeah. all that oxygen and whatever, the facials. Like, <laughs> you do it. You'd pay, <laughs> you'd pay the money. Anyway, so he flew into Sion um, – by private jet, he checked into the Omnia, which is this super fancy hotel, gorgeous. He checked in there for two nights. And, you know, like I said, he wanted to, like, train for the PDG. So then on April 7, 2018, he was last spotted on that CCTV, like, image I talked about, um, at 9.09 in the morning at Klein Matterhorn Station. So, and the thing is, it takes about an hour to get up there from town. So... Yeah, it's a long, it's it's high. And in the picture, he's wearing ski touring trousers. He's got a blue jacket on. He's got his ski boots. He's got a beanie and a small rucksack on his back and his skis, right? And his mm-hmm. touring poles. So it all looks pretty normal. But then the next morning, so April 8, the hotel contacted his family to say that he hadn't come back to his hotel room. So at this point, he's been missing for 24 hours, right? And they contacted the police in Cologne and the family immediately got Ezermat on the case. Now, Ezermat right. is this incredible helicopter rescue service in Zermatt because you need it in the Alps. You can't rescue someone on foot. You can't even get up there. So, Is it private or is it just something that the Swiss government put on for missing no, people? It's private um, because also Ezermat do things like for all the mountain restaurants, uh, you know, they will just do huge, like, you know, 500 kilo pallets of alcohol once a season to take everything up because you can't get this stuff up yeah. there, you know. Yeah. So the helicopter service is really um, integral to the community, but they also do this incredible air rescue service. And yeah. anyone who's interested in this, there's a fantastic thing called the Horn. I think we've talked about this. Um, it's uh, Red Bull TV. It's all about search and rescue. In, and mm-hmm. how they rescue people off the mountain. But anyway, to put it into context, it's around 350 quid for three minutes of helicopter time. Fuck So hell. it's not cheap. And, Whoa. of course, but, you know, money's no object for the Halb family, sure, right? Sure, sure. So they had, I think it was three or four helicopters out immediately searching for him. And they were out there for hours and hours and hours every day for days. So they were searching for him by air on the glacier. They had 60 people on foot um, going to all the like various ice overhangs and spots where people can shelter on the mountain to look for him, as well as any mountain hearts didn't find him. They had mountaineers and guides just 
locals who know who know the mountain they were rappelling down into crevasses that you can see by air to look for him oh my god um again nothing no sign of him they even sent out sniffer dogs to try and find him nothing and putting this in context context as well 240 square kilometers of glacier to cover so wow. there's a fucking lot yeah. to cover right because we don't know when he went missing there was 24 hours where from when they last saw him on the like exiting out of the lift yeah. station to when the family raised the alarm and then the weather took a turn for the worse and we, you couldn't put helis up in the air searching so after seven days the family called off the search and basically gave up any hope that he would be found alive Hmm. so this had all been put down to just a really tragic accident until a few weeks ago (gasps) when it was revealed that investigators in Switzerland were 95% certain that this dude's disappearance not an accident and this is where shit gets weird and by weird I mean Potential kidnapping. Oh, Potent- I thought you were going to say aliens. No, I wish. Because that's, oh that's weird. <laughs> because I have seen weird stuff on the mountain. Yes. But no, no aliens, but murder, kidnapping, <laughs> Russian spies, <gasps> embezzlement. And turns out basically dude was living a double life. Oh. Yeah. At the end of last year, the German edition of Business Insider ran a story about Charlie Harp saying that he had been leading a double life with connections to Russia and that firstly because they alleged he had a Russian passport and secondly it's rumoured that he had a Russian lover in St Petersburg for years. Excitingly she's called Veronica E which to me sounds really fucking glamorous. Yes that's the connection. Exactly so Veronica E is apparently an active Russian spy who also wow. holds a helicopter license and this sounds like a fucking Bond movie. She's in the uh, the Russian domestic secret service and has a fake events company that is a front for the Russian secret service to get in touch with so- with foreigners without raising suspicion, right? I like it. I like and it. And then this is really bizarre. According to phone records, the last two phone calls that Charlie Halb made were both to Veronica E. in Russia, and they both lasted around 45 minutes. And then 24 hours after Charlie went missing, so did Veronica E. (gasps) Oh, no. Yes. Right. They're on the run. Well, this is one of the theories. Is he still alive? Did he go on the run? Right? Yeah. So it's reported that on the same day that Charlie checked into the Omnia, the fancy hotel, so did another couple who raised suspicions, right? Okay. Namely because a later check of their passports and some investigation revealed that they were both in the Russian intelligence service. So Charlie's checked in on the same day that two Russian intelligence spies have checked in. Then. See? Hotels, Russians, it's all linked. Yes. And this is important because, like I said, he had the last two phone calls were to Veronica E. But according to his text history, one of the last texts he received on the morning of his disappearance was from Veronica E. Who wrote, she was on her way to Moscow. And then she resigned from her job by email and she hasn't been seen since. Hmm. Neither has Charlie, right? Then there's the missing money. 
lots and lots and lots of missing Where has it gone missing from? The helped family? Yes. So Christian Help, who is Charlie's older brother, he's gone public with an accusation that Charlie embezzled 12 million Mm -hmm. euros of Tangleman company money to pay for spy services that he set up to investigate their younger brother, George Help. And the reason that Charlie was investigating his brother George is because George was super dodgy. He was involved with a dodgy bank manager who investigators said was highly dangerous, mainly because he'd been the head of a German company in St. Petersburg at the end of the 90s who was in cahoots with Putin and that they had suspected this bank manager had been laundering money for the Russian mafia. Oh. So the younger brother was involved with this guy. And I, and Charlie was using Tangerman money to investigate the brother because he thought that the brother was putting the Tangerman fortune at risk, right? Mm-hmm. I, th- I would assume. And then after Charlie died, because basically – Charlie got rid of the the dodgy bank manager out away from the family. But as soon yeah. as he died, dodgy bank manager's back in the picture. The family weren't happy about it, right? Right. Then there are Tengelman investments in Russia where more than 40 million euros of company money that Charlie was in charge of, it's just vanished. And apparently it's all vanished due to kind of dud land deals for new stores, new Tangleman stores that were meant to be constructed between St. Petersburg and Moscow. Money's gone. Do you think that he hid it somewhere so he would have it to live on? Maybe because, you know, he's not, if he's thinking of faking his own death, running mm-hmm. away, which I think is what happened. he can't use money. So he has to no. filter it out somewhere. So there you go. Make of that what you will. Make of that. Now, I just want to say something really quickly about the the Russian mafia. Going back to my story, I forgot, I neglected to mention that yeah. the mafia ran the show back then. Yeah, they, they did. They ran the show. Absolutely, with Putin. That's why everyone had guts. Guns. Guts. Guns. Guns and guts. Yeah. So. <laughs> sex and sex. Jazz and jizz. And... <laughs> uh, <laughs> So look, there's no hard evidence, right, that anything crazy has happened to Charlie Halb, right? His body has never been found. No one can prove he was abducted. No one can prove he was murdered. No one can prove that he's still alive. No one can prove that he's living in Russia. No one can prove that he ran away with Veronica E, right? Mm -hmm. But let's just think about this. Anyone who knows Zermatt in the Alps knows, like we talked about earlier, you never go alone, on the mountain. Mm-hmm. At a minimum, you always go with a mountain guide or at least a really experienced local. And Charlie would have known this. He knew this. He didn't. And like I said, this wasn't... I don't think it's an accident. I don't think. No. And this is the thing. Like, It wasn't Charlie Halb's first ride at the rodeo for the PDG, right? He'd done it before. Yeah. He'd yeah. never trained on, literally never trained on his own before without a guide. So he knew going up there on his own was a risk. First of all, really unusual for him to go up. Secondly, again, dude was fucking loaded. Top 10 richest families in the world, right? Yeah. So he can do whatever he wants. He probably also had a lot of enemies. He had a lot to lose. The mm. family fortune had just become open slather because the dad had died, right? Maybe he was involved in something shady and needed a quick get out. And maybe like Melissa Caddick, he could have had a plan B to decide, you know, to like fake his own disappearance, right? Well, why haven't we found a foot? 
because he's he's a lot richer than her. He doesn't need to have a fucking foot. And also, because Zermatt is on the border of Switzerland in Italy, it's super easy just to ski over to Italy to any of the valleys that have no webcams, no surveillance, nothing. It's right. like the Wild West out there. You know, so you could easily travel undetected on skis. If you've got the money and the contacts, which the dude definitely did, it's not hard to organize a heli to grab you from the middle of nowhere and whisk you away to wherever. And remember, Veronica E. had a helicopter license. I forgot that. Yes. Did you say so that? I did. Oh. So I don't know. Who fucking knows? Maybe Veronica E., Charlie, Melissa Caddick are all drinking you know, fucking cocktails on a beach somewhere. I don't know. But then this is the crazy thing. On Friday, literally Friday just gone, Hmm. the German courts, after looking at all the circumstances of his death and looking at the rumours and the documents and whatnot, they officially declared him dead because they were satisfied that he was no longer alive. Remember, that's what they're trying to do with Melissa Caddick too. They're trying to declare these people dead. And I don't think this is because they want to give peace to the families. I think this is all financial. Yeah. Yep. Because it turns out like the urgency for this is kind of all related to business because the dodgy brother, and I don't know how this all ties in, it's all weird, but the dodgy brother, George, he withdrew to have his application to have Charlie declared dead in January this year. And Char- then Charlie's wife who had consistently like refused to be involved in well to be involved in the application to have oh. him declared dead she did a turnaround right in January this year and when the brother pulled out and she joined the application to have him declared dead along with her kids and then in April this year Charlie's heirs so the wife and Charlie's kids all mm-hmm agreed to sell their shares entanglement to the brother Christian for it hasn't been disclosed but it could be anywhere up to four billion right so there are a lot of people that have financial interest in this guy being declared dead and he literally got declared dead on Friday this documentary film crew they are investigating everything they believe he's still alive and I know this because they spoke to, they interviewed people in town and, and I heard through town what was said. Mm. So they believe he's still alive. They think that he definitely is in Russia. They think Veronica E is is either with him or connected to the disappearance. Right. They think he's skied over into Italy and just fucked off over the Alps, never to be seen again. They have all of these theories because... A man this rich doesn't just fall into a crevasse no, for no reason. I agree. Yeah. So, look, I think this is going to run and run. I think there's going to be updates. And Oh, I can't wait to have them, Michelle. Yeah, and being in Zermatt, we... You are on the ground. Yeah. and You are our yeah. correspondent. So, it's weird because, like I said earlier, the European me like the English-speaking European media, they don't, they have not picked up on this. And yet, this is like... Bill Gates disappearing. Like this is one of like the richest people in the world just going missing. So I think there is a lot more to this than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. So there it is. Russia. (laughs) Russia. I'm going to make a a Robin Gron quote here and say, oh, what a tangled web we weave. 
When first we practice to deceive Michelle. But that's a good one. Oh, my gosh. Yes, that's one of my (laughs) mum's. I love that, Robin. If if you're listening, shout out. But it's a great one. Yes. I and I think that when money's involved, people go to any lengths. I felt like I was reading a script, actually, Michelle. When we were when you were telling that story, I felt like I was reading some sort of script to a to what's a Bond that one movie with, or yeah, something. Bond movie or that family that uh, they're all media moguls with Succession. Yes, fabulous. Oh, Michelle, what a wonderful little conversation this has been today. Well, it's all Russia, 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 and then Russia, of course, Russia. I apologise for having all my facts wrong as well. I'm sure most of my facts were wrong, but that's not my fault. It's because there was a blanket, you know, a news blanket came down on that story because it was all so badly managed and obviously it was embarrassing to the Russian government. Well, I wonder though if there's a bit of that with this story because this is not a big breaking story, you know, for the world and it fucking should be because rich, powerful people don't just go missing. So, yeah. Eyes on the prize with this one. We'll I've see. got to tell you something just quickly. I've just had some news just come in while we've yes. been talking. Breaking news. It said, news flash. Australia's oldest man shares his secret to living 111 years. Chicken brains. Oh, That's all it my says. God. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, I just ate a few chook brains. That's it. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> just, just fry up a few chook brains with me eggs in the morning. Ooh, That's it, chook, love. Chook, 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 chook. Oh, All right, chooky. Well, until next week, Chukarina, keep... Keep on eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.